All right, church, today we're going to be back in 1 Peter. Um, if you'll turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17 today. I did want to say a couple things that I forgot to uh, mention. Uh, first of all, I want to welcome our visitor, Kathy, from, uh, from the Lynn's Church. Uh, she's worshiping with us today, so we're glad you're with us, Kathy. And uh, another thing I wanted to mention was I had mentioned at some time, maybe here in about a month or so, we may go to the bus station with some clothes and food on a Saturday morning. And, and, and I did want, also want to mention that Nathaniel and Shiloh were out with some others out at the abortion mill yesterday morning. And um, so I hear it's pretty, really pretty crowded right now because especially of all the Texas people coming up. And, uh, you know, it's really sad. But... Uh, I'm going to be trying to join them on Saturday mornings when I can. It just depends on how the week's going. But, but guys, that's quite a mission field at the abortion clinics. Because, especially at that one, uh, there, there's just a lot of businesses and restaurants around. There's a lot of people out. So a lot of people can hear the gospel. And, of course, you can plead with mothers and fathers not to murder their children. So that's, that's always a ministry that's neglected that... Uh, that I'm that I'm glad we have people in our church that are that that want to go and stand in the gap for those little babies. So that's that's always you're always going to have my support. I'm going to help when I can. So uh, I just wanted to say that um, that's that that is a mission bill that's often neglected. So today, guys, the title of the message is going to be it's called "Suffering for Righteousness' Sake." Suffering for Righteousness' Sake. You know, I think as I think you would all agree that as the church in America, we really, you know, we really haven't had to suffer very much uh, when we think about, you know, the church around the world, the church throughout the history of the church. Uh, we've had it pretty good, um, and that's okay. Okay, it, it's okay to not be under persecution. We we shouldn't go out seeking it. You know, we shouldn't read these verses and think, oh, well, I guess i got to go get myself in trouble so I can suffer. That's not what we want to do. There are people with that kind of mentality. It's like they wear a badge, they go out and start trouble, and then they maybe suffer some pushback, and they think they're, they're not suffering for righteousness' sake. So we don't want to do that. But I think at the same time, we don't want to avoid it, right? We don't want to avoid suffering, avoid persecution by maybe keeping our mouths shut in times that maybe we could say something. We're all guilty of that. I know I am. But I think, you know, we just need to be, we need to prepare for it. We need to prepare for persecution. And persecution comes on all types of levels. And I think for us, because we don't know what the future holds in our land, but I think when we're talking about suffering, persecution, and these type of things, I think it's really important to, to prepare By 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 being willing to suffer in the small things, you know our 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 persecution that we face for the most part would be under the maybe the title of being insulted and these type of things. So we don't need to shy away from these things. If we think that we're going to stand if things got really hard, but we're not willing to stand when things are easy, we need to kind of just examine our own lives because we do have to remember. That, that God's Word does say all of those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. 
in some form or fashion. Um, but realize this, guys. As we, as we talk about suffering, which is really one of the, the main themes in Peter's letter here. He's, he's writing to these believers who are under persecution. We, we talked about that when we started the book. Since, we're, since that's really the focus today, guys, let's remember that God does have a great purpose in our, uh, in our suffering and persecution. There, God does have a purpose for it, does He not? He doesn't waste it. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, the, the cold water of persecution is often thrown on the church's face to fetch her to herself when she is in a swoon of indolence or pride. Okay? So, so think of being asleep and somebody dumping a cold water, a picture, a picture of cold water on your face, and man, it wakes you up and you get up. That's what he's saying here. When the church is basically asleep in a swoon, that means fainted. Just picture a, in a coma of indolence and pride. Okay? Indolence, just a, a desire for peace and comfort. Which in many ways, that's the American church. We've had it. We have it so good. And so what he's saying is, and you can even you can see this in the Scriptures in the book of Acts, it said they were persecuted and they went, around, they went everywhere preaching the Word, preaching the Gospel. So sometimes God uses persecution on all kinds of levels to just kind of wake us up. I know even on a, on a very individual, personal level, um, sometimes I can become very lazy spiritually. Very lazy, very comfortable, and just any kind of opposition, when it's for righteousness sake, it tends to uh, wake me up out of my spiritual laziness. I don't know if you guys have experienced that, but I have many times. Because what we're doing, we're identifying with Christ in a small way. And, and so that's, that's that intimate fellowship we can have with Him. But, but God does use persecution. Um, obviously, we know God doesn't waste anything. So let's just remember that as we talk about these things that are a reality in the Christian faith, that, um, that God doesn't waste it. And so if you have your Bibles, guys, I'll ask you to stand one more time. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Suffering for righteousness' sake. Suffering for righteousness' sake. He says in verse 13, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and, and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. You guys can be seated. Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we ask once again, Father, for your Holy Spirit to minister to us, Lord, as we look at your word, as we look at the reality of, of being a Christian, being a Christ follower, Lord, and suffering pushback from this world. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to just to apply our hearts and our minds, Lord, to wisdom today, to apply what we hear. Father, to be encouraged from your scriptures, God. 
that you are for us, and if you are for us, none can be against us. Lord, we, we dedicate this service to you. Pray that your Son, Christ, will be glorified. It's His name we pray. Amen. Alright, so the first thing I want to look at from this text, guys, in verses 13 and 14, is just like maybe the main one, the one major heading, okay, with four, we're going to look at four points under it. Uh, that would all be by way of application, imperative for us. But the first one is this, guys. This is the main point, I guess you could say. We are safe and blessed while suffering for what's good. Okay? If you're taking notes, I know that's kind of long. But we are safe and blessed while suffering for what's good. Or suffering for righteousness' sake. But we are safe and blessed while suffering for what's good. Because I think we need to get that in our minds, okay? We need to remember that. That if and when suffering does come, we need to remember, guys, that God hasn't forsaken us. That we are safe and blessed while suffering for what's good. Look at verse 13. It says this, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Now there's, there's different ways to answer this question. I'm trying not going to stumble around here. But there's different ways to answer this question. Okay? As far as our, as far as our immediate suffering in this, in this life, or the harm that would come in this life, okay? When we look at that question, the harm that would come to us immediately in this life... Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Okay, under normal conditions, normally you're not going to be harmed for just doing the right thing. Okay, I think that's pretty obvious. I mean, normally when, you're, when your life's characterized by being generous, maybe selfless, kind, these type of things, you're not going to experience a lot of harm. Okay? Now when we start thinking about what's morally and acceptable before God as being good, then there can become more pushback from the world. But I hope you guys follow me. Real simple point. Usually if you do the right thing, you treat people the way you want to be treated, you're not going to suffer a lot of harm. But in times of persecution, okay, in times of persecution, many may harm you. Okay, if we just... We just think about our, our, our brethren in other parts of the world. They suffer much harm for doing what's good, for doing the right thing. Our brethren in China, our brethren in many countries, they suffer good for doing, or they suffer harm for doing good. Um, now again, when we, when we talk about the word good, we have to remember that, that many in the world, they call good evil and evil good. So when you're dealing with situations like that, you could definitely experience harm for doing good. Now this, I want to get now to what I think this is really saying. And, and I think this will be consistent throughout this, these verses we're looking at. When it says in verse 13, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? As we said, in normal conditions, in normal conditions in this life, probably not, not many are going to be willing to harm you. But when we're thinking about, I'm going to use the word ultimately. No one is going to ultimately harm you on that day. 
when you prove zealous for doing good. On that day, on that day of judgment, on that last day, no one is going to be able to harm you because we are going to be protected on that day. Because of verse, because of verse 12 that we looked at last week, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. And we know that when we're in Christ, when we're righteous because of the righteousness of Christ, we're going to be protected ultimately on that day. Because we may experience much harm in this life. But on that day, the promise of our heavenly inheritance, there will be nobody to harm us. Okay, I want you guys to remember that. No matter how bad things get in, in our life, no matter how bad things are getting for our brethren right now who are in parts of the world or are being executed because of their faith, in the end, ultimately, nobody's going to harm them because they're in God's hands. Isaiah 50 verse 9 says, Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is He who condemns me? And then a very very familiar verse in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who's against us? Have you ever thought of that verse? I had an atheist tell me one time, what a stupid verse. You know, God's for you, but I'm against you. We have to understand what that means though. If God is for us, who is, who is against us? Of course there are many people against us in this world, right? That's not even what it's talking about. What it's saying is nobody can ultimately, there's that word again, can ultimately triumph over believers. That's what that's saying, guys. God will vindicate His people on the last day. Nobody's going to harm you on the last day if you're in Christ. That's the point. We are safe. We are safe and blessed while suffering for what's good. We are safe in the hands of God. You can go to the gallows to have your head chopped off, and in the end, nobody's going to harm you. You're going to be in the presence of the Lord. So I think Peter's speaking more throughout this passage of this eschatological language. Because that's the only way it truly makes sense. Because you can do the right thing and suffer much harm in this life. Especially when, you, when the right thing is the best thing, right? Preaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ. When you go to people out of a love for them, you're loving your neighbor as you love yourself and communicating the truth, that's when you'll suffer much harm. John Knox said, with God on His side, man is always in the majority. And so I don't think Peter is saying that, that we're going to escape any type of rejection, any type of insult, any type of persecution, mental or physical. We're not going to escape that kind of harm in this life. That's what this whole book is about. is suffering under persecution. But that we are ultimately safe, guys, on that day. That's what, en- that's what enables a-, a believer to endure the se- most severe persecution as knowing ultimately what awaits him. As being safe in the arms of God. So we are safe, first of all, while suffering for what's good. We're also blessed in verse 14. Verse 14 says, But even... If you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Okay? You are blessed. 
That word but could be, could be translated indeed, okay? Indeed. It's, in other words, it's not a contrast to verse 13, but, but rather a clarification of verse 13. Even if. He says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Even if, it, that means that it may not be the norm, okay? We don't, have the, we don't want to have the mentality that even when things are bad, that it's just constant suffering, constant persecution, because it's not. But, but the word even if, it means that it will happen in some, on some level. In certain times and in certain areas, it may be the norm. Again, 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a very clear statement. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Again, that can come in all forms and shapes and sizes. Maybe you have felt that. Maybe you have felt pushback from, from family members or from friends. Or from co-workers. But, but all who desire to live a godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted because we're going against the grain in this world. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? We're go- you, you live for Christ and you're going against the grain. And so suffering is not a constant thing, guys. But, it's, but what Peter's telling us is it's always a threat. And we need to be ready. That's why we're going through 1 Peter. Is, is just to be ready. To be, to be ready. To be ready to, to suffer persecution. To suffer pushback. And to be encouraged. This, this, this passage today, guys, should encourage us that no matter how bad, bad things get, we're, we're safe and we're blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness. Not for being a jerk, but for the sake of righteousness. When you suffer, no matter how lonely you may feel at the time, maybe you feel like you're the only one, because it can get lonely. Sometimes the Christian life can get lonely, even when we know we have others. It can get lonely at times, but remember, you're blessed. In this life, yes, we're blessed in this life. When we think about the passage in, uh, I forgot to write it down, but in, oh no, I got it written down in, in verse, chapter 4, verse 14. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's an intimate fellowship with Christ. That's the only way I know how to describe it. When, you, when you're reviled for His name's sake. I'm always drawn closer to Him during those times. It's when I get lazy spiritually that I feel most distant from Him. Not that He's gone anywhere, but that that fellowship is, I think, is most intimate when, when we are suffering for His sake. Okay? For His sake. We're identifying with Him in His suffering in a very small way. But I believe even more so, guys, we are blessed because, again, of what awaits us in heaven. We're blessed because of what awaits us in heaven. What Peter's been talking about throughout this letter, our inheritance. When we think about our inheritance, guys, again, that's what can truly 
enable, by, the, by God's grace, enable a man or a woman to be burned at the stake when you read church history. That to see how these men and women suffered so graciously and was even a witness to their persecutors during that time. It's because of, regardless of what happens in this life, we're blessed because of our hope that awaits us. Flip over to Revelation 21 real quick. And just plant these, plant these Scriptures in your mind, guys. Especially verse 3 and 4. But, but verses, we're going to read 21, 1 through 4. And, and, and let it just encourage you guys of what awaits us as the people of God. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Is that your hope, guys? I hope that's your hope. And, 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 what's, and what tops it all off? We're with, we're, we are with Christ. That's the hope. So we are safe and we are blessed while suffering for what's good. That's the that's the main point we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at four points under that, really just that are imperatives, that are that are by way of application. Because we're safe, because of this truth we just looked at, that we're safe and we're blessed when we do the right thing, when we suffer for Christ, okay? Be encouraged by that, okay? And so the first thing we're gonna look at, because of this, in second half of verse 14, we don't fear. We don't fear. I don't know how many times it's in the Bible, guys, but just take note of it when you're reading through the Scriptures. How many times God tells us in the Old Testament and New not to fear? It's, it's throughout the text. Not to fear. But yet many times we do. Hebrews 13.5 The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Or what can man do to me? What can they do to you? I mean, really, what's the, what's the worst thing that a person could do to a follower of Christ and they, and they think they would have the victory? What is it? Take their life? And no, that's not a small thing, but that just... Death is just a doorway to, to home if you're a believer. Amen? We've got to get our minds on eternal things, on eternal realities. If we're truly going to walk in this life without the fear of man, we need to remember, guys, this is not all there is. This is very, very temporary. And then it's going to be over. Don't... It says in verse 14, <clears throat> Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. I didn't look in the other uh, English translations. That's what the NAS says. But that... You know, don't, don't fear their intimidation. Don't be troubled. It's quoted from Isaiah 8.12. That was just the Lord telling Isaiah not to, not to fear 
the Assyrians coming from the north like many were doing on that day. So don't, don't, don't fear their intimidations or be troubled. Don't, don't fear their revilings, their abusive speech. Again, that's mostly what we face in America, right? You may, you may face some insult, maybe be made fun of, you're not popular. Don't fear their revilings or their threats. That's what he's saying. That, and that word trouble has the idea of being shaken up, okay? Ask yourself, are you shaken up by men and women's opposition towards Christ? Are you, are you disturbed? Are you frightened? It's implying emotional turmoil, guys. If that's the state we get in, then we need to, we need to repent of that, okay? He's telling us not to fear. Galatians 1.4 Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age. Guys, we've already been rescued. We've been rescued from this present evil age. Who can harm us? You know, it's really hard to harm somebody who's already dead. And so what happens when we come to Christ? We die to ourselves. It's hard to kill a dead man. Right? Coming to Christ is we die to all that stuff. Insults and these type of things. We, we, we shouldn't fear these things, guys. You guys have heard of Polycarp, right? The early church father, Polycarp. He was burned at the stake. And his torturer said this. He said, I'll have you burned alive if you don't change your mind, okay? Picture, just picture yourself in these people's shoes. I'll have you burned alive if you don't change your mind. In other words, if you change your mind, you're free to go. Polycarp said, You threaten with fire that burns for a short time and and it is soon quenched. You don't know about the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment that awaits the wicked. But why are you waiting? Come, do what you will. You see that, guys? He had an eternal mindset. Light me up! But hell's waiting on you, sir, if you don't repent. Guys, we don't have to fear the threats of men. Fear God, not men. That's the secret. Fear God, not men. You remember what Jesus told His disciples? Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, right? Polycarp had that down pat, did he not? Don't fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Puritan William Gurnall Gurnall says this, We fear men so much because we fear God so little. One fear causes another. When man's terror scares you, turn your thoughts to the wrath of God. And that's a true statement, guys. When we have, when, when we have a problem fearing men, it's because we're not fearing God enough. The fear of man brings a snare, the book of Proverbs says. <clears throat> so there's no reason... Guys, there's no reason to fear Him. There's, or there's no reason to fear men. Remember what it said in verse 12 a couple weeks ago? We looked at the first half a while ago. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous 
and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Remember the anger of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord is upon them. We need not fear. But we're blessed, guys. We're blessed. We're safe in His arms. And also, beloved, the love of God, the love of God which casts out all fear is shed abroad in your hearts. It's shed abroad in your hearts. And nothing can separate us from His love. So we should never fear. I mean, if we went on, I was was tempted, but just for sake of time, you remember what it says in that passage? Paul mentions literally everything in creation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So don't fear. Okay? I'm preaching to myself too. Okay? Don't fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Secondly, in verse 15, first of all, we don't fear because we're safe and we're blessed for the, when we do what's right for the sake of Christ. We don't fear. Secondly, we sanctify Christ as Lord and make a defense. Okay? We don't fear. And secondly, we sanctify Christ as Lord and make a defense. Sanctify just means set apart. Consecrate. It's the idea of of adoration and worship of Jesus Christ. Is that who He is, guys? Is that who He is in your life? Rather than fear men, no, we, we set Christ apart as Lord, we set Him apart from all others as the sole object of our love. And what did Christ say? If you love Me, you will obey Me. He is the sole object of our love. Our loyalty is to Jesus Christ. Not to what man says. Our obedience is to Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry says, we sanctify the Lord in our hearts when we with sincerity and fervency adore Him. Do you adore Christ? That's the greatest question a person can ask themselves. I mean, what is a Christian, guys? It's somebody who loves Jesus, right? Keith Green, Jamie, remember they said, he said, what's the definition of a Christian? Somebody who's bananas for Jesus. It's really not complicated. It's not somebody who can quote this and quote this. and do. It's somebody who loves Christ. Um, we, we adore Him. He, go, he goes on to say, when our thoughts of Him are awful and reverent. Remember, they use the word awful as awesome. When our thoughts of Him are awesome and reverent. And we were, when we rely upon His power, trust to His faithfulness, submit to His wisdom, imitate His holiness, and give Him the glory due to His most illustrious perfections. Setting apart Christ as Lord. He is Lord. Amen. He is Lord. But this is the idea of us setting Him apart as Lord. He calls the shots. He's who we follow after. He's who we aim to please. He's who we worship. He is who we adore. Adore. Setting Him apart as Lord, beloved, means submitting to His will. Okay, It's submitting to His will even when His will includes suffering. Okay, That's... The whole context of this passage is suffering. Amidst the threat, put put yourself in the place of the apostles. Amidst the the threat of arrest and beatings in in Acts chapter 4 and 5. It seemed like they were in and out of jail, in and out of prison, receiving beatings. And what did they say in Acts 4.20? 
standing, standing in front of those who was persecuting them. That's, that's the context of this, this passage and even this verse. It, it can apply any time in life, but when, we're, when we are suffering for our faith, we need to be able to open our mouths for Christ. And what we see them saying in Acts 4.20, we can't stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Of course, they made much of a defense by preaching the Gospel to their enemies. Again, the context of this entire passage is suffering. Okay, We need to be ready. We need to be ready to give an answer. To give a defense. Apologia. Guys, it doesn't mean you have to have, be able to answer every question people throw at you. You need to have a, a general understanding of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and of the Word of God and of the Christian faith. And, and, and that only comes one way, right? By being in the Word of God. Okay? But we need to be ready in this context, even in the midst of suffering, to proclaim the Gospel. And it says you need to always be ready. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being Ready. Again, be in the Word of God, guys. Be in the Word of God. The only way you can give an answer for the Christian faith is to go to the Christian book and know who God is. Know who God is. What does the Bible say about the Bible? It is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Let the Word of God go in people's lives. Okay? It'll, it'll accomplish its purpose. What, what is this hope that is in us? It's just our Christian faith. Our, our, he talks about the hope of the resurrection. It's all wrapped up in Christ, is it not? Our anticipation of what's to come that we've talked about earlier. The, the New Geneva Study Bible, or, or it's also referred to as the Reformation Study Bible, says this, In the Bible, hope is not uncertainty or wishful thinking, but a confident expectation of future blessing based on facts and promises. So it's knowing the Word of God. To everyone, it says. In other words, not just in times of suffering, but in all circumstances, be ready. You know, there's so many times, guys, there's so many times we have opportunities to be a witness for Christ, and we're just not ready. We're just not ready. We don't... We don't Take the many opportunities that we get. But in context, again, while suffering, think about, I think I told you all this, this story of, uh, several weeks ago, but it's, it's just worth, the application is so good right here. Um, I think I told you all about the, that, doc, that movie, Tortured for Christ, the story of Richard Wormbrand when he was in a Romanian prison for 14 years. And they, oh, they would just beat them so bad. They would, they would tie them up and hold the bottom of their feet out and beat the bottom of their feet with rods. I mean, I just can't imagine the pain. This went on for years. He was skin and bone. Very weak. Beaten on a regular basis. And the guy who did most of the beating walked by his cell one night and saw him praying and, and asked him, 
He said, Warren, why are you praying, man? We, we've taken everything from you. You're skin and bone. You're starving. You have nothing. Why are you praying? God's not answering your prayers. And he said, sir, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. It's having that kind of, having that kind of, having that kind of mindset when we're when we're suffering for Christ. I mean, what what is Peter saying here? Rather than rather than fearing their threats, right? In verse fourteen, rather than fearing their threats, instead we need to set apart Christ as Lord and be ready to be used by God as a witness for Christ. That's what's going on here. Even during times of suffering. Another example of that, the Apostle Paul. Turn over to Philippians 1 real quick. Look at verses 12 through 14. And, and, and just look at it. What, what an example Paul is in his life. You know, we, we can read about different passages of Scripture, how much he suffered for Christ. But Philippians 1, 12-14 says this, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the Gospel. And you think, what circumstances? He says it in verse 13. So that my imprisonment is the, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of the God, the word of God without fear. Listen to what he's saying. He's in prison. This is one of the letters he wrote in prison. And because of, because of his imprisonment, right? I mean, what do we think? Do we typically think, uh, you know, man? I've been, you know, we think of maybe going to prison, and and do we think of that as the advancement of the gospel? Maybe a missionary trip. That's how Paul was viewing this. He said, because of my circumstances that I am in prison, it's actually turned out for the greater progress of the Gospel. My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. There were guards with him 24 hours a day on rotating shifts. And he could have people come and visit him. And these guards are hearing hearing what Christ has done in his life and hearing the truth of the Gospel continually. And it says that these things spread. You think about these guards and them going home to their families. And it spread from the guards to everyone else. And if you look in verse uh, 22 of chapter 4, you can see where it ends up at the end of his letter. Listen to what he says to the Philippians. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Because of Paul's imprisonment and his faithfulness to proclaim the gospel in some of his in, in his in his time of imprisonment, the gospel spread all the way to Caesar's household. That is having the right mentality to be ready to make a defense during times of suffering. We would be most of us would be planning on how how I can get out of here, how it's not fair that I'm in here, and Paul just continued right on course as when he was out of jail, proclaiming the truth to whoever God would bring across his path. And by God's grace, it spread all the way to Caesar's household. 
started with the guards. That's the power of God, guys. And it says we're to do it with gentleness and reverence. Gentleness, think about toward even the most wicked men. And you think of Wormbrand. What do you, what do you, you know, he's, the guy is just mocking him for praying. And what does he do? Does he shout back at him? No, I'm praying for you. That must have pierced that guy's heart. I don't know what happened to that man, but it must have pierced his heart. And obviously, reverence toward God. So, because we are safe and we are blessed, first of all, we don't fear. Secondly, we set apart Christ as Lord. We'd be willing to make a defense, right? Open our mouths for Christ. Thirdly, in verse 16, we keep a good conscience. In verse 16, we keep a good conscience. It says this, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So along with our good confession that we just talked about in verse 15, our confession of Christ and our defense of the Gospel, along with our good confession, we're to keep a good conscience in verse 16. We do this by living a pure life, guys, right? We do this by living a pure life, by avoiding willful disobedience and practicing immediate confession and repentance on a daily basis. We live this kind of life. Why? Because we recognize that we are continually in His presence. You guys remember we talked about that several weeks ago? Uh, back up in chapter 1 or 2. It was talking about doing, doing it for conscience sake. That whole idea that we do what we do because we recognize that we are continually in His presence. And this awareness, this awareness of His presence that leads us to keeping a a good and clear conscience also gives us, when you're living this kind of life, guys, when you and I live the kind of life that, that we're aware that we're in God's presence continually, it gives us confidence. It gives us boldness in the face of suffering for righteousness' sake. Does it not? When you realize that you're, that, that you're in God's presence, that He is with you, that He'll never leave you nor forsake you, that He's watching out for you, it can give you confidence and boldness to do the right thing. And it says, keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So that, it's the idea they will recognize that they were wrong. And guys, I'm going to say again, ultimately, I believe it's pointing to that day that they're going to fully recognize that. They may recognize that in this life and they may not. But ultimately, on that day, when God discloses the secrets of men and full justice is brought, all all truth is brought to light, they're going to realize they were right all along, those Christians. They're going to be put to shame. It may silence them in this life, It may even lead to somebody's conversion. And praise God for that. But not always. And this good behavior that it's talking about in verse 16, and also in verse 13, we can see that it's Christian behavior. What does it say? Those who revile your good behavior in Christ. So it's not just being a nice person. It's it's Christian behavior. And, And a lot of times the world hates it. They hate Christian behavior. Our Romans 1 culture 
that says good is evil and evil is good, who revile our good behavior in Christ, many times they won't consider it good at all. Have you guys ever been accused of that? Doing, been accused of being evil because you're just trying to stand for what's good? It's happening more and more in our day. That's why I believe this whole put to shame ultimately in the end is what it's pointing towards. In the same way that we're going to be safe, that we, or that we are safe and blessed, ultimately on that day, the enemies of God will be put to shame on that day. Because the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. But no matter how wicked and vile the treatment is, guys, this is the point. No matter how wicked and vile the treatment may be, a pure conscience before God, by God's grace, can withstand all of it. Think of Polycarp and many, many others like him. You think, man, could I... Have you ever asked yourself that? Could I truly... Could I truly stand in the most difficult times for Christ? And, and I think we could say, yes, by God's grace. I think He would enable us to, by God's grace. But we must prepare mentally to just, to just suffer the smallest insults and do it graciously. And any response we have should be gracious as well. Sometimes it needs to be bold. There was certainly nothing wrong with Polycarp's strong rebuke. Light the fire. But just know there's a fire for you. And then lastly, verse 17. So, so because, guys, we're, we're, we're safe, we're blessed when we do what's right for, for righteousness sake, we don't fear, we set apart Christ, be willing to open our mouths, make a defense, Keep a good conscience. And lastly, we rest in God's will. We rest in God's will. Verse 17. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. That's really just kind of an obvious statement, is it not? It's better to suffer for doing what's right than doing what's wrong. So of course we would suffer if we would do, if we would do evil, we're going to suffer, right? Consequences. You reap what you sow. So it's an obvious statement. You know, applying it to the Christian life, I think of a man who used to who used to come down to Bricktown. I had been going down there for years and setting up in front of the theater and preaching, and there was another guy who started setting up. And I'd listened to him a time or two and thought, this ain't gonna be good. And so basically his whole idea was to call people names. And at one point he called a, a woman. She was either married or had her boyfriend with him, but she, he called her a slut. And the, and the guy came over there and ended up roughing him up pretty good. That is what you call suffering for doing evil. Suffering for being a jerk. That's not what we're talking about. It's better to suffer Right? When you do the right thing. When you suffer for doing what is right. When you suffer for righteousness sake. And, and the suffering of believers, guys, this is, the point, this is the last point we're making in verse 17. The suffering of believers is attributed to the will of God. In other words, it's all within God's will. We see that all the way back in chapter 1, verse 6. 
where Peter said this, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. If necessary. Well, do you and I go through various trials? I do. <laughs> so it must be, In other words, it must be necessary, right? It must be part of God's will. Because we do go through trials. Right. So God must see it, see it as necessary, Kathy, that you go through a trial, right? And that I go through a trial. And we're going to remind ourselves here in a moment of why we go through trials, why God sends them our way. That's right. So, the fact that it's God's will here in verse 17, if, if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right, Peter, Peter's not denying, first of all, Satan being involved. Remember what he says in verse 8 of chapter 5? Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So the devil's active, his demons are active. A lot of the trials we face are, are a result of that. But remember what Martin Luther said about the devil. The devil is God's devil. Okay, So anything that the devil does, he's only doing with God within the parameters of God's will. Obviously, he doesn't deny other people persecuting us. That's the text we're looking at today. Just because it's God's will, he uses... In other words, God uses the devil. He uses other people. But it's all under the sovereignty of God. So we ought to, we ought to take comfort in that. When we think of Job, we remember Job and, and, and Satan's purposes. When, when God gave Satan permission to literally take everything from him but his life. When you talk about a man who suffered, you know, Satan's purposes were evil. But God's were good for Job. God's were good for Job. Romans 8, 28 and 29, guys. We'll be reminded of all these, these trials we go through. And we know that God causes all things, right? All things. I have to remind myself of that so often, guys. When you're going through something, just remember that all things. Whatever it is you're going through, that's included in that. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. All things, guys. All things. Bad health. Trials of all sorts. Loss of a job. All kinds of suffering. Trials. Persecutions. Hardships. Uh, loss of loved ones, all things for the believer, for those who are called by God, who love God, all things are worked together for good. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And there is the purpose. There is the purpose right there. That God allows us, brings us through trials, brings suffering into our life of all sorts. Why? To make us like His Son. To make us like Christ. Christ trusted in the Father perfectly. God wants us to trust in Him. When you think about who Christ is and all His perfections, that's what God is doing in your life and in my life. That is, that is what's promised in Romans 8, 28 and 29. It doesn't mean He works out all things so they'll just go smooth. No, He is 
forming you into the image of Jesus Christ. And then in closing, guys, I'll just close with a question. I'm going to read verse 17 again. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing rather than doing what is wrong. Why is it better? That's the question I have. Why is it better? Why is it better to suffer for righteousness sake? Number 1, it's a great witness. Is it not? When we can bear up under suffering and suffer graciously in the, in the face of opposition, it's a great witness to this world. It's supernatural. Tell me where else does that happen? Where else can people suffer that kind of opposition and persecution and, and do it graciously and, and pray for their enemies while they're suffering? That's supernatural. It's only found in Christianity, guys. We follow our Master. So it's a witness to the world. When we can love our enemies, we can pray for our enemies. We can do that. We need to do that during our lives now. But even in those times, what a witness it can be. Secondly, it's obedience to God, is it not? Because God told us to. It's always better to obey God. Okay? It's always better to obey God. God is always pleased with obedience. He desires obedience better than sacrifice. And then lastly, God's name is honored. God's name is honored. You read the Old Testament and you read how much emphasis God puts on for my name's sake, for my name's sake, for my name's sake. And when we can suffer under... We can suffer for the sake of righteousness and we can suffer graciously. That's maybe the best thing is God's name is honored in this world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You, Lord, that we are not abandoned by You. Um, I pray, Lord, that as we sit in here, Lord, it's, it's comfortable. Um, relatively times of peace right now, Lord. And, and I just pray, God, we, we never know what's coming in our life, what could come in our personal, individual lives, in our culture, Lord. But I just pray, Father, that we will just store these truths up in our hearts and our minds, Lord. For whatever type of opposition we face, Lord, that we would always, first of all, not fear. And secondly, Lord, see it as an opportunity to proclaim Christ and to defend the truth of Your Word. Father, we, we thank You for Your Son. We thank You, Lord, that He suffered as we're going to look at next week. He suffered for us, Lord, more than we'll ever suffer for Him. And for that, we are grateful. Father, be with us the remainder of the day. Be with us throughout the week, God. May we, may we remember these truths that we've heard today, Lord, and apply them to our lives, Father. In Christ's name, Amen.